invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Uh, as you know, that last weekend, Joanne and I were in Konos, uh, Lithuania, and uh, uh, there was a pastor's conference there I spoke at on um, healthy church. What does it mean to have a, a healthy church? And I focused on uh, the importance of expository preaching, gospel preaching, and uh, biblical eldership to that end. But um, a healthy church... Um, well, it's, it's what we're pursuing here at Harvest, but how do you define a healthy church? Uh, one of the ways uh, that we've done that is to just look for fruit. Any healthy organism is defined by its fruit. So uh, how do you know if you have healthy garden plants? Well, is a tomato plant producing tomatoes? Um, and that, what's true of plants is true for, for animals, right? Is, is the cow producing milk? Is the pig gaining weight? Uh, healthy organisms produce fruit. And the same is true for the church. Uh, the question then is, well, what are the fruits um, of a healthy church? What are the evidences of a healthy church? And you could uh, name some, a zeal for the glory of God, um, a, a delight in His Word, a love for the gospel, a, a love for each other, a concern for the lost. Um, these would all be evidences of a church that, that has uh, truly seen the glory of God and has understood the, the wonderful riches of the gospel and, and through that is growing in spiritual uh, vibrancy and strength. Well, one of the evidences of a healthy church is a church that loves to sing. And uh, Exodus 15 is a wonderful um, illustration of that. Um, and we're going to see this morning the, the, the answer to the question, why do Christians sing? Why do Christians sing? Let's give our attention to God's Word. If you know, if you remember, Exodus is the story uh, of God delivering the first part here, of God delivering Israel out of Egypt, where they were in bondage, miserable bondage, being beaten, their, their young uh, children being, um, young boys being put to death. And uh, God miraculously rescued them. Well, if you see in chapter 14, we have the story of Israel being led through the Red Sea. And then when Pharaoh and his army comes chasing after them, God destroys them. So this is the great um, illustration in the Old Testament of God's judgment on his enemies and his salvation for his children. If you see it, verse, um, and then we'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 15. The song that Israel sang as they have just now seen the great salvation of their God. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Genesis 5, Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods, the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, 
the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are as still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you've made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on the dry ground in the midst of of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang unto them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Well, Father, give us ears now to hear the truth about who you are and what you've accomplished for us and what you promised to us in Jesus, and we'll give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I came across a blog written by an unbeliever where he was asking his blogging community this question, why do Christians sing? Apparently, he had been invited by a friend of a Christian uh, to attend his church, and so this unbelieving man went along, and it's the first time he'd been in church, and one of the things that really surprised him was the singing, the amount of singing, the, 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 the volume and the energy and the enthusiasm that people had uh, for singing. He hadn't seen anything like that. And so he asks this question, why do they do that? Why do Christians sing? It's a great question to ask, and many of us maybe have never thought of it. We just, if you've grown up in the church, it's just what you do in church, right? It's, it's, it's part of the package. And, and uh, many of us have just grown up with uh, the assumption that when Christians get together, they sing. But it's an unusual thing. It's a highly unusual thing. There's, there's really nothing like it in the, in the world. Uh, the fact is that the Christian faith is a singing religion. Uh, the Bible is is a full, the story of redemption, is filled with songs. Uh, we're told that in creation, the morning stars sang together. Uh, we, we know of the songs of, of Israel here by the Red Sea, maybe the first great hymn of the church. Uh, we have all the songs of David and the, the psalmists in, in the Bible. We have the songs of the angels when Jesus is born and they, they make the announcement and a heavenly chorus joins them praising God. Uh, Jesus and the disciples sing a hymn after the Last Supper. Paul and Silas sing in prison. Uh, we have the saints in heaven recorded in Re- the book of Revelation singing with these thunderous anthems of praise, worthy are you, O Lord our God. The story of redemption is a, is a story of singing. And as I said, this is uh, Christians then, uh, in their singing, are very unique in the world. There's, there's no other religion in the world that comes close to um, this astonishing volume of songs that are produced 
by Christians. Uh, someone once wrote a question. You can ask John Piper, I guess, online questions, and then, um, then he'll respond to those. Well, someone asked the question, is it true that Christianity is unique in the fact that it is a singing and rejoicing faith? And Piper responded, absolutely. I don't think there's any other religion that sings like Christians sing. Christians really make music over their faith. Even the reality of Christian contemporary music is an interesting phenomena. It has many pitfalls, but the sheer existence of Christians who are always looking for ways to make melody about their faith, finding inspiring tunes growing out of their convictions about God and Christ and forgiveness and eternal life, I think that is an amazing and unique thing. I don't think there are any other faiths in the world that come close. And that's true. And not only do Christians sing, but Christians sing together. We, we do corporate singing, congregational singing. Every Sunday all over the world, Christians gather together and they sing. They sing together. No other religion does that. If you go to a, a worship service uh, of the Muslims or Buddhists, uh, you might have a priest chanting or a priest singing, but you do not have the congregation gathering to rejoice in the saving acts of their God. And yet Christians always do. A worship service without singing would, would barely be a worship service at all. So why do we do this? Well, in Exodus chapter 15, uh, the first great hymn of the church, I think we have some great answers uh, to our question. Uh, this morning, there are more you could, you could, this is a very rich text, I think you could come up more uh, answers than I have, but, but I've come with three. Christians, first of all, sing uh, in response uh, to God's glory. Uh, second, Christians sing to rejoice in God's salvation. And, and third, Christians sing to reflect God's glory. So to respond to, to rejoice in, and to reflect, if you're taking notes this morning. Christians sing in response to God's glory and our salvation. Uh, the chapter begins, then, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And the question we should ask is, well, when? And the answer is given in the verses immediately before us, uh, in chapter 14, verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Philistines. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That's when they sang. You see, they, they sang after um, God had accomplished this magnificent deliverance. This magnificent salvation. You see, Christian singing is always responsive singing. And again, this is unique in the world. Other uh, faiths, uh, religious practices, use chants and songs in an attempt to awaken their God or in an attempt to appease their God. But the singing is always initiative. It is, it is man, people taking the first step and approaching their God, seeking a favor, seeking a blessing. Christian singing is always responsive singing. It always has an antecedent. There's a grand, glorious something that has happened which came before the song, and the song is a response to that something. And, and here in Exodus 15, that something is this incredible 
demonstration of the power of God and the, the experience of deliverance for Israel. You know, we know these stories, but just imagine being on the shore of the Red Sea, the wrong, sh- the wrong shore, and you've got Pharaoh and his army coming hot after you, and it is the mightiest um, military power in the world of that day, and you have nothing to defend yourself, and there you are, you and your wives and your, all your children, all your livestock, and they're coming to destroy you. That's what the, 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 psalm, the, the song says, right? They're, they got their swords out and ready. They've come to completely destroy you. I mean, if you can just imagine what that experience must have been like for the Israelites on the shore of the Red Sea. And they're trapped. They're completely trapped. They got Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. And then Moses does this strange thing. He takes his staff and he stretches out over the water and suddenly there's a path through the water and people are they're walking through. And, and, and the, wall, the waters just stand up in a wall. And the people walk through on dry ground all the way to, to the other side and out to the other shore. It just must have been mind-boggling to have that experience. But Pharaoh's army is still coming. Except that um, once the last Israelite steps onto the shore, the far shore, the waters suddenly collapse. And the story tells, the, the, the song tells the story. They sank like lead. Here was this this imminent threat, this, this impossible-to-escape scenario, and then suddenly it's gone. In a moment, it's gone. That, then Israel began to sing. You see, they, uh, they're singing because God has done something incredible, something unthinkable, something they never could have imagined, and, and God in His judgment has brought them salvation, uh, deliverance from their enemies. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, He is thrown into the sea. Now, I want you to notice how the song is focused on the glory of God. This is a song, it's first of all about the glory of God, and secondarily about the salvation of Israel. But notice that it's full of language of what God has done. Um, verse 4, he cast Pharaoh into the sea and his chosen officers. Uh, verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. God has triumphed gloriously. This is, they, they have this deep sense as they're standing there watching this happen. God is at work. God is doing what only God could do. And God then deserves the praise. They are awestruck by the reality of God. Who is like you, verse 11? O Lord, among the gods, who is like you? What God of any of the pagan nations is like the Lord our God? And so they delight in the glory of their God, the reality of who He is, the exercise of His power. They tremble, they're in awe, and they are rejoicing. Because of God. And they're rejoicing because of their salvation. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. And, and the song tells the story of how God has saved them. You see, uh, it's interesting. Psalm 106 talks about this event, and, and, and it says it this way. He, that is God, saved them, Israel, from the hand of their foe and redeemed them from the power of their enemy. The waters covered their their adversaries. Not one of them was left. 
Then they believed his word and they sang his praise. Song, Christian song, is the act of faith in response to God's act of salvation. It's a response of faith to the reality, the glory of God and his salvation. And so the, the, the saving character of God and the saving works of God are the fountain out of which these songs of Israel spring. And what was true in the Old Testament is, of course, true in the New. We sing because God has, has done something miraculous, something unimaginable. Something that we would not have been able to believe at all if the Spirit had not convinced us that it were true. One of the things that really struck me in Lithuania is a conversation we were having with the missionaries about a person there in the church who, uh, you read this in the report that I sent out, and um, a young girl, 25 years old, desperate for hope, for meaning, no understanding of Christianity at all, and yet looking into Hare Krishna and other religions and just trying to desperately find hope. And, um, and came across a book that, that had some Christian truth in it and started going to a church. And, and um, not, a, not a healthy church, but, but, but began to grow in her faith. And, and finally she stumbles across uh, the missionaries here, Frank Vendell, and gives them a call. And, and she had just questions, questions, questions. 25-year-old girl. And... and uh, and uh, about the Bible and, and about what it teaches and what, he, and, and what this church teaches. And, and at the end of the conversation, she said to him, I would crawl over broken glass to hear a message like that. She, you see, we, we just can't imagine something that could be so good, so true. Not in and of ourselves. And yet, that's what God has done. He's rescued us from our lifelong enemies. I know that we think that we, that we have problems, and we do have problems. I've got, we all have got heartaches, and we've got, we've got things that concern us, things that maybe keep you awake at night. But, but, but do you realize the crisis of your life is the, the fact of your sin and the reality of the holiness of God? And, and the fact that you're mortal, and you're going to die, and you're going to face judgment? You're, you're, going, to, you're going to stand right before that holy God, and we're going to give an account for our life? And that, and, that if, and that if we are not reconciled to this God, uh, this life will be a waste and, and the life to come will be hell. That's the great crisis of our life. And, and we cannot save ourselves. We can't go to church enough to make ourselves right. We can't, we can't believe enough to, 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 to cleanse our, our sin. We can't do, do enough good right, to make it right. It's not possible. Sin is too mighty. It's too strong, and it's too prevalent, and we can't wash it away. And the devil is, is, is too mighty. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how to tempt us. And the world is too alluring. And there's nothing we can do, and yet, and yet it, God does this amazing thing for us where he sends his own son, God himself, in flesh to bear our sin and to, and to suffer the wrath that, that we deserve for our sin, so that in that act, our lifelong enemies of our sin and the death that we deserve and the devil who hates us, they have all been in a moment gloriously and forever defeated. They, they sunk like lead. Not one of them left. So your sin is a defeated foe. 
Death is a defeated foe. The devil is a defeated foe. And we sing, you see, because, because the victory of God over these enemies is, is our victory in Jesus Christ. How can we but respond with praise? And so, you see, we sing to rejoice then. We respond to what God has done and we rejoice in what God has done. This is a hymn of rejoicing. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. They had to sing. How could they not sing after they've seen this stunning display of God's power and his grace towards them? You see, we we sing because God has accomplished something for us that must be expressed in song. Bob Coughlin says, Christians sing because they can't help but sing. A song has been placed in their hearts by their Redeemer. Not every Christian has a voice. Some of you could say amen, but they all have a song. I should say some of us should say amen. But we all have a song. We all have a song. And one day we're all going to have voices. Won't that be wonderful in heaven? I think in heaven we're going to be able to sing with a beautiful, beautiful voice. And so Moses and the people begin with the words, I will sing. The Hebrew can be translated, I must sing. I must sing. There's something necessary about this. It's not enough, you see, to to simply speak about God's salvation. There's, There's something that requires singing it exalting in it that way. You see, a believer feels that urgency and that necessity. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The Bible's full of commands towards this, towards singing the praises of the Lord. Psalm 47, 6, sing praises to God. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Why? Because God is the King of all the earth. Psalm 68, verse 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. It's wonderful. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. God wants his people to sing. The command is repeated throughout scripture. God wants his people to sing. Coughlin again says, God isn't interested in us simply saying true things about him. He wants us to sing them. He wants us to sing those truths. Why, why would that be? Why would that be? I want you to imagine, um, ladies, if your husband not just said, I love you, but, but what if he sang it? It would be incredibly embarrassing. But, but might it say something about his joy in you and his, his devotion to you? You see, we, God wants us to sing because God is worthy of adoration. God is worthy of that kind of worship. Beauty and goodness and justice and truth deserve to be praised. If you are at a, a concert of some sort and you hear a, just a magnificent performance, a beautiful piece done with great skill in it and filled with beauty and goodness and truth, And when the final note ends, if you just sit there, right, maybe chewing on your fingernails, there's something wrong about that. There's something dead in you. Do you you, you see that? that If if you're not responding to that, 
leaping to your feet and cheering and applauding, maybe crying. If that doesn't happen, there's, then, then there's something's broken. God is magnificent and he's beautiful and he's true and just in the most infinite sense. The most beautiful thing you've ever heard or experienced in this life is the, the tiniest little sliver of a shadow of the glory and the beauty of God. He's just given you something in his creation that is pointing to the, the truth about him. And we have to sing. It's, it's right, right, that we sing. God is... God is worthy of, of his worship. We, we read earlier in, in the service from Psalm 29. The, give to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. It's due to him. It's necessary and fitting and right. And if, and if we're alive, we'll respond to the reality of God in that way. And so why do we sing? Because God is worthy of singing. This is my God, and I will praise him. This is my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The people of Israel are standing on the shore of the Red Sea, on their feet, worshiping, praising, exalting in God. You find the same thing, of course, in the book of Revelation. Secondly, God wants us to sing because he desires our delight. He does not want us simply to acknowledge his glory. He wants us to exalt in his glory, not to simply recount his saving acts, but to cherish them, to, to exude joy in them. You could, you could ask the question, why is Exodus 15 in the Bible? Because we already have Exodus 14, the story of God's deliverance. So why, so why do we need the story told over again now in poetic form. Well, because Exodus 15, you see, is, it's really, um, it's wonderful to see what happens when facts put into music and poetic form suddenly now becomes this whole new thing called worship and praise. Uh, yes, Exodus 15 is a retelling of the story of Exodus 14, but, but in doing it in this way, something happens that's profoundly different. The poetic structure of the words turns the facts into worship. So just notice the difference in the telling, the recounting of Exodus 14 and the rejoicing in, in chapter 15. I'll just read a very small portion. Here's the recounting, verses 27-29. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. It's a story. It's a dramatic story, but it's recounting the facts. But now listen to how that sounds in chapter 15. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he, God, cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O God, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And the whole song continues that way. He's not just recounting the facts. He's rejoicing in the facts. He's thrilled with the facts. He's exalting in them. 
There's a sense of awe before this God who is like you, verse 11, O Lord among the gods. You see, the, the poetic form and the, and the song together, it's this, it's this great heartfelt amen, a soul-felt yes. Praise be to God for who He is and what He's done. That's what the songs of the church do. They help us respond in appropriate ways. Bob Coughlin again says this. He says, somehow the music, when it's right, fulfills and carries the words. Somehow it allows for a fuller expression of emotion and delight. The truths of the Christian faith are so great, they need both the music and the word. There are expressions of emotions that need music to complete what the words are trying to say. That's what music is. That's how it works. There's something different in saying, I believe in God, which is true and wonderful. But to sing it, the Lord is my light and my salvation, right? Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Just sing that to the devil sometimes. The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the strength of my life. And then if you can hit the high note of whom, then shall I be afraid. That, that is so glorifying to God. It's a, it's a different thing than just saying, I believe in the Lord. And so Christians sing because we need the, that vehicle of poetry and music to convey our heart's response to God. It's the engagement, you see, of, of both the mind and the emotions. It combines doctrine and devotion. So when you have beautiful music with biblical truth, it stirs our affections and moves us to respond with our heart and our soul as we express our delight in God. Oh, come my soul, bless thou the Lord thy maker all within me. Bless his holy name. That's what song does. So we sing to rejoice in God. And finally, we sing to reflect God's glory. Piper, uh, John Piper explains, defines worship as reflecting back to God the glory of his worth. That worship isn't us doing something for God. Worship is us reflecting back to God like the, like the moon reflects the rays of the sun. We reflect back to God the glory of his, of his worth. In song, we communicate uh, both our understanding of God and our delight in him. And our receiving of all that he's done for us in Jesus Christ. This is my God. That's what we say in song. And I will praise him. I will exalt in him. Notice Moses delights in this psalm to reflect upon the specific aspects of God's character, God's being and his works, and, and aspects that maybe we would be less quick to sing. But, but notice he, he talks about the judgment of God. The Lord is a warrior, right? Remember he says that? He's a man of war. The Lord is his name. Uh, he executes justice. He brings judgment upon his enemies. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, shatters the enemy, verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. It's a wonderful reminder to us to to guard against sentimental silliness in our songs of worship, right? The Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. It's not what you sing when you're standing on the shore in Exodus 15. When you, when you sense the reality of God and the, and the glory of God and the terror of God. 
You see, if, we're, if our songs are going to correctly reflect back to God, then they have to be true reflections about God. One of, my, one of the commentators, Stuart, says, an important theological truth is incorporated here, namely that God's eventual destruction of those who oppose him and his anger against evil are not opposed to God's majesty, but inherent aspects of it. Modern sentimentalist thinking wants God to be ever tolerant, always soft-hearted, and thus defines God's justice as something other than how the Bible defines it. The just God revealed in the Bible will not tolerate evil. He will not. And plans for its eventual total elimination. Those offended by these facts about God are wishing for a reality that has never existed. He does get mad. He does smash his foes. And he is majestic in doing so. He's majestic in doing so. We need to sing about that. We did in this service. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. Only a holy God. And we sing it. Because it's the truth about God and we, we sing it to reflect back to God the glory of his worth. And we sing it to also then uh, delight and reflect back to God the glory of his salvation. Verse 13, you've led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength, your holy abode. That's, that's the salvation story. God has redeemed for himself a people. God has rescued a people from their enemies, not just so they could be rescued, but so that he could bring them to his holy abode. And the song talks about how uh, the, the nations of Canaan are trembling because they realize that God is deadly serious about fulfilling his promise to Abraham. That when God said to Abraham, I will give to you a land, this land, to you and your descendants after you, he meant it, and God is going to accomplish it. I love what um, Stuart writes about this. He says, a grand theme of scriptures appears at this point in the song. Even though God has graciously come to the place where we live in Christ, it has always been God's plan that his people should, by Christ, join him where he lives. That's the point of the story. That's, that's where the drama of redemption is going. It, if we are saved only for this life, Paul says, we're of all men most miserable. But God has determined to bring us to his holy abode. That's the great story. That's what we sing. We sing because God in Jesus Christ has made that not just possible, but real. Jesus Christ has destroyed the curse that opposed us. Jesus Christ has defeated the enemies of our sin and death and hell. And we sing because in Christ then, by faith in him, we have crossed over by the grace of God from death to everlasting life. We believe that God is leading and guiding us to, that, to his holy abode. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender presence who through life has been my guide? We sing about our home, don't we? Oh, Lord, haste the day when, when faith shall be sight and clouds be rolled back like a scroll. And the trump resounds and the Lord descends. Hasten that day. There's a higher throne, we sing, right? Than, than anything this world has known, where one day all, all God's children will come. 
hear heaven's voices ring, the, sing the thunderous anthem ring right through emerald courts and sapphire skies, their praises rise. Do you hear it? Do you hear the songs of heaven? And we sing then in this world to reflect the glory of that God. We reflect it in a way of proclaiming to the world the glory of our God. Think about Paul and Silas singing in the jail. It's powerful testimony to the glory of God as they sing these two men who are suffering for his name in a miserable, miserable, rotting hole filled with a stench of, of, of men and, and just the, the wreckage of the fall. And there they are singing. Just imagine the, 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 the notes of their voices wafting down the, the, the empty dark corridors of the prison during the night and, and into cell rooms where men lay bound in their sin in, in utter desperation and despair. And yet in the middle of that black hole, someone is singing praises to God, delighting in the, His glory and singing about His salvation. And when the earthquake happens the, 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 and the jailer uh, is about to kill himself, but they say, don't do it. And what does he say to them? What must I do to be saved? Well, who, who gave him any idea he could be saved? Well, it must have been something in the song. That let him know about a God who is great and gracious, a God who's able to give lost, wicked people hope and joy and peace and life. And friends, what an illustration for our own day. We live in a world that is despairing of meaning. They have no idea what's the point of all this. Nihilism is, is just taking over. People are desperate for hope. They're hungry for joy. They are thirsty for beauty. Let God's children sing with Christ-bought unity and spirit-wrought joy. Let us sing. Sing the songs of the faith. Sing the songs of the church. Let those songs resound through the dreary quarters of this lost world so that the world could know that there is a God who is mighty to save, a God who in Jesus Christ has loved us to the uttermost and promises all that come to him in faith, everlasting life. Isn't it wonderful to be the church all by the grace of God? Isn't it wonderful to be the people who've been called by God to proclaim His praises in this world? Well then, brothers and sisters, let's commit ourselves to it. Let's sing in our homes, in our cars, as we gather for worship, in our small groups. Let's sing to proclaim the praises of our God. Amen. Well, God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a song to sing, and I pray, Lord, that, Lord, that, that we would be able to do so even when life is hard, even when our hearts are breaking, we can sing because you're a God who hears and cares and saves. I thank you that we can sing, Lord, songs of lament and confession as well as songs of praise, and you are glorified because in those songs we lay hold of what is true. We lay hold of your goodness. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless us as your people. Put that song in our heart and our mouth. And as we, Lord, walk through this dreary, lost world, Lord, I pray that the songs of your people would, would be a mighty testimony to your goodness and to the way of salvation in Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's stand together, friends, and sing.
as a choir, God's beautiful choir, the choir of New Jerusalem from Trinity Hymnal 271, sing choirs of New Jerusalem. Receive the blessing of the Lord your God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.